That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, another Sunday in Lent, but in Texas it feels very springy, I gotta say, Jake. Uh, I know maybe not so much in New York, but outside, the sun is back. We had like our one week of cold weather. Uh, that was it. We gave up. We gave up warm weather for one week, and now we're now we're back in it. How's it going in your neck? Of well, the woods? you know, it still feels wintry, but the le- the days are lengthening as Lent uh, points to, and so um, you know, it's good. I've got. Is that um, true about your sermons as well? Are they also lengthening? <laughs> they actually, I think, are getting shorter. So, yeah, yeah. We I, I'd be interested to do like a same old song listener poll. How long is your average sermon? Uh, you can. You can uh, tweet at us, SOS Embird, or DM us on D- DM us uh, on the Insta. Let us know, I was, and maybe I was, maybe we care. I was. It was funny. I was one time invited to preach at uh, my friend's church, and it was a Baptist church. And uh, I asked him. I said, "So, like, how long do you did your congregation expect me to go?" And he was like, "Probably like forty to fifty minutes." And like my jaw dropped and I was like, okay, so I combined like three of my sermons, three or four (laughs) of my sermons together. And uh, that became the, um, the, yeah, and uh, it was really funny. So, but uh, we are on the uh, third Sunday. It was like the Voltron of sermons. It was, it totally was, it came together. It was very powerful, actually. People wept. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) When will it end? Make it stop. I Just do kidding. remember. Here's a because you know we're moving towards the Easter vigil and all of these services. I do remember. I was in a cathedral which will not be named <clears throat> Trinity in Pittsburgh. No, <laughs> but this Same was years ago. Here. None of the yeah. people that were there are still there. And uh, anyway, um, I remember we were at the Easter vigil because I was a seminarian and had to do this and. Uh, I tell you what, that person, that guest preacher preached at the Easter Vigil, which is a long service as it is. It's a nighttime, two-hour service, even without the sermon. He preached for like 45 minutes at this service. And uh, I I bring that up because literally as we're recording this, a text message just came up with a wonderful picture of my... um, wife's aunt, Alice, and she was in this service with us, and it was one of her first Episcopal services, um, because she's a non-denom, but she literally was like, when the plate came around, she was like, if we put a little extra money in, can we leave? (laughs) (laughs) Pay to to play. play. Uh, Yeah, yeah, long sermons, man. Sometimes, unless unless you're, you know, St. John Chrysostom or something, you better be real good if you preach that long. You know, that is a, that's a very powerful and important lesson to learn in life. Very few people have like 30 minutes worth of stuff to say. Um, you know, and um, there's nothing wrong if you, have, um, if you have 10 minutes worth of stuff to say to say it in 10 minutes. You don't need to drag it out. And so give them the goods. And remember, we're called to feed the sheep, not the giraffes, as they say. 
That's right. Don't put it where people can't reach it. Yeah. Keep it down low. So on that note, let's talk about what we're preaching for this uh, this um, this Lenten mm. Sunday uh, coming up here. So this is um, the third Sunday in Lent. So we're getting into, uh, well, we get one of the best collects, by the way. The collect, you can almost preach on that. We have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. This is not a very popular idea in some parts of our church or our society, but um, powerlessness is actually where real spiritual mm -hmm. life begins. Resurrection starts with dead people, not Amen. with people that are just doing okay. So, so uh, yeah, great colic. But we we get we have Exodus twenty one through seventeen. We have First Corinthians one eighteen through twenty five, and then we have John two thirteen through twenty two. Jesus turning over the tables in the temple and getting getting all in a huff in the temple. Um, uh, but it's it's a <laughs> Sunday. It's you know people are um, you know Lent can can sometimes I don't know about you Jake but it, can, it feels like it kind of drags a bit um, mm. and that's sort of the point like it's not fun like the services have this somber tone uh, the churches are a little bit stripped down uh, the liturgy is as well uh, and um, you know you're purposely kind of looking at the suffering of Christ his time in the wilderness so um, I always feel like it's important that Lenten sermons talk about Lenten themes, but make sure that there is some gospel because it is still a, a Sunday, still a feast mm -hmm. of the resurrection. So, so make sure you preach the gospel, which you may think looking at this first reading, Exodus 20, how do I preach the gospel with the 10 commandments? God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, gives you all these things to do and not do. Um, uh, and then he finally says, and you shall put these commandments on every courthouse wall in the United That's States right. of America when it exists in a few thousand years. So how do you, um, how do you, I mean, if, if, you, if I were to challenge you to preach the Ten Commandments, how would you preach this? Yeah, um, well, I mean, just when you mentioned that, Court, I don't know why my brain went there, but I went to Bathomat. <laughs> so, What's Bathomat? Bathomat's the, like, devil statue that all the Satanists are putting up next to the Ten uh -oh. Commandments. Because like, they're like, if response. you get to put up your thing, yeah. we get to put up our thing, too. And, you know, yeah. I mean, ultimately, as Christians, that's not our fight. That's, the, you know, I mean, uh, Paul describes the, the law as a ministry of death. And yeah, so, and Jesus Christ know, is I mean, the end of the law, so let's not go back the fact is, is that the law is written on everyone's heart. And so... Um, yeah, if you want to put something provocative and Christian on the walls of a courthouse, put, um, I have come to proclaim, proclaim release to the captives, and mm -hmm. neither do I condemn you. Those are some Bible yeah. verses that would raise a few eyebrows. I'd be down with that, but yeah. Anyway, well, so Ten Commandments, preaching it. Well, I think uh, the first thing is the commandments need to be understood as like a whole. It can't be like, you know, uh, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's not like, you know, this is your time to take and decide to preach honor your mother and father. Or this isn't your turn to t talk about, you know, you shouldn't have idols or keeping the Sabbath day holy. Uh, the commandments always need to people about not yeah, coming to church. Yeah, that's right. Don't as you're that. like, and man, you really gave it to him during Lent. Uh, the mm. commandments need to be understood as a whole. And the first four deal with our relationship with God and then followed by our relationship with our neighbor. And uh, uh, they are basically the foundation for all of the other laws found in the Pentateuch. And so, um, uh, but what sets these ten apart is that they are spoken directly to Israel by God. And uh, they were inscribed on stone tablets by the finger of God. Uh, which is the Holy Spirit, and everything else was written down by Moses. But essentially what these commandments, so 
a lot of people think that they're a ladder for us to climb to God. But what, hap- what, what, what the Ten Commandments actually are is that they uh, reveal the character of God, and they reveal his desire to set a people apart for himself. Um, and so it's not, not a ladder for us to climb. This is a word, and uh, it is a word of love. Uh, Jesus, if you remember, he sums up the law by saying, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And so when, and you know, and this is one of the problems uh, with kind of the mantras of love in the church is when we talk about real love, it's ultimately, um, it ultimately leads to death, death to ourselves, our desires, and our pursuit to be God. And so um, this is a word that is not a ladder, but it's a word, and it reveals, especially when you understand uh, Jesus and his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, it reveals that God and his character is holy, but you and I ultimately are not. And uh, that um, instead of a ladder, what you and I need is complete and total saving. And so this is why when you preach the commandments, I think that ultimately when you get to the part of saving, you need to begin with uh, the love and affection statement that God delivers to his people at the start of the commandment. I am the Mm. Lord your God. And so um, it's not about inspiring one to action. If you read this as that's the case, then we mistake ourselves as the protagonist and we miss the entire point of the colic that we just read. Uh, These words, though I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, reminds us that when it comes to this first word, which exposes all the unholy in us, it reminds us that God is the active agent in the relationship and he's made a decision about you, and that decision is, is he's your God, and he loves you very much in his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's great, Jake. I think, you know, one of the things that we do with the Ten Commandments is we sort of, we boil it down to the the parts we can keep. I've heard a lot of people over the years say, you know, I basically keep the Ten Commandments, and what they mean is I've never killed anyone, yeah. um, and, I, and I haven't cheated <laughs> on my spouse. Um, I don't know if they have never coveted, i bet they have and but just people don't think about that they think sort of it's this basically be a good person don't steal stuff you know don't don't run around on your um partner uh be like rick astley basically like never gonna give you up never gonna let you down never run around or desert you so just be faithful to your parents and your spouse and don't commit adultery don't steal don't kill anyone um don't lie in court and you'll be fine um which ignores the whole first chunk of it um and uh, which is to put God first. And it's really kind of a matter of the heart in a sense. Um, but even at the end, the coveting, I mean, that's a matter of the heart. That's not something you, you know, coveting is, is wanting something that belongs to someone else. Um, and it's hard to just kind of turn that off. So these commandments to me are all different ways of expressing a basic idea, which is um, remember that God is God and that you are not because mm. every to, to break the commandments is to try to make yourself God, to take control of the world you're in. So, oh, don't make an idol because I like, I like making idols because I can make this little statue and I can pray to it and I can work out a contract with it, this transactional relationship where I give it stuff and it gives me stuff. Um, and so that means I'm in control. Um, uh, you know, not honoring my father and my mother is meaning, you know, I, I don't want to put myself under their uh, parental guidance. I want to, I want to be my own boss, um, you know, 
murder is a way of asserting your right to take someone else's life. It's all these things are sort of um, to break the Ten Commandments is to make yourself kind of the boss of the world and the boss of your life, and um, um, and and that is a really um, ultimately destructive way to live. And so God is inviting people to yield and to be people and not God. Um, and Jesus makes this really clear. If you ever thought that you could do these things in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, um, not only is it not to, to follow the letter of the law, but also the spirit of it in the deepest level. So you may say you haven't ever committed adultery, and that may be true on its face, but if you have um, sexually desired, lusted after a person in a way that is sort of objectifying them and exploiting them in a sense, then you are guilty of the same thing. If you have uh, had a hateful thought against someone, um, that's where murder ultimately comes from. And so you are, you're just as guilty. You're in the same place. So, so Jesus makes it clear that this is kind of an, a, um, a very uh, tall order. And, and the idea is to make you into someone who, who wants to trust in God, which is, um, uh, sort of what, uh, what Paul is getting at in First Corinthians uh, chapter one, verse eighteen twenty-five, like to not yep. be God but to trust in someone else. So he says there's there's a there's a universal and very relevant contemporary message here in this passage, but it's tucked away in some uh, first century culture about Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles. Um, and he says uh, um, the Greeks desire wisdom; we proclaim. However, Christ crucified. Jews demand signs, but we proclaim Christ crucified. Um, and so people might think that this is a verse about people that, you know, are ancient folks not related to us today. But it's they're absolutely very much still people that are in these categories of the first who desire uh, signs, people who want miracles and flashy spiritual experiences. And, uh, and then there are those who want um, wisdom, sort of... Uh, um, this, the world systems to get the cheat codes of life, how to um, how to win at life, how to succeed, all that sort of stuff. So people want science, people want wisdom. Uh, give me the mountaintop experience, or give me the secret knowledge. Um, all these things absolutely still exist, and those are both efforts to take control. Um, and Paul says, against both of those things, we see the cross of Christ. This um, negation of the ego, in a sense, um, and uh, it says that. We can't save ourselves either through spiritual achievement and mountaintop experiences or knowledge. Both of those things will not really uh, deal with our inner reality, our real problem. And so that's why we have Christ crucified, which is offensive and nobody likes it. Um, but this can be, I think, a freeing word to people because there are so many people in the congregation who feel, who are searching for signs and wonders. They want like a magical experience with the Lord. And there are people who want the knowledge. Give me the knowledge. How do I raise my children to be perfect? How do I get my marriage to be perfect? How do I build my career to be perfect? Give me the secret. Give me the code. Tell me what to do. People want both these things. And, um, neither of those will ultimately save you. And what will save you is God giving himself for you, the cross. Mm -hmm. So so that's that can be a freeing word. You can let, let people off the hook from having to save themselves um, and say that somebody's already done it for you. Yeah, I mean, and uh, why, um, why would this message of the cross be foolishness to those who are perishing? Uh, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. You know, this is, and this really gets at the very, on one level, the heart of Lent also, is that, you know, um, so often 
we think that, you know, I mean, we get into this ladder mentality and that needs to be, God never offers us a ladder anywhere in the scriptures. He offers us two words, uh, one which condemns and one which raises the dead. And uh, so the law and the gospel. Uh, however, sinners being what they are, and this is what made Paul's, uh, so, you know, when you think about the Corinthian church, I mean, it was just this like hyper spiritual place, um, you know, where um, everybody was doing their thing and it was all about love there too. Um, and, uh, but, but uh, Paul says, listen, and this is the problem. Most people think that they're climbing a ladder to God through, uh, and Lent exposes this every year, one through their piety. You know, uh, two, uh, through mysticism and emotion, uh, or uh, three, uh, through kind of, and this is always my problem, <laughs> wisdom, mm. you know, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, if only, you know, I just know a little more, then I'm going to be able to see the divine face to face. And uh, the problem with all of this is, is that it fails to realize that the human condition is in that bad a shape. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Lent is to expose that you're having more than just a spiritual bad hair day. Uh, your mm -hmm. will, and this is what the law and the Ten Commandments actually reveal, is that your law, your the law reveals that your will, and this is going to be a shocker to some of you, but your will is actually evil. On its own, it's not the least bit interested in serving God. Uh, rather, I want God on my own terms and Him ultimately to serve me. And so uh, that that uh, our will is a um, our will is evil, and that makes it actually a deadly offense to God and His holiness. And so, uh, and when you begin to realize that, when you allow those Ten Commandments to expose who you are, and that, man, uh, my affections are distorted and my love is imperfect, well then, uh, for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God, the gospel, the cross, because it says that one has come and actually has a word to speak to me, not as I'm presenting to the world, but as I actually freaking am a total mess. And uh, that word, uh, God meets us in his weakness, becomes our strength. That word, which meets us as we really are totally foolish, becomes God's wisdom. And you begin to realize that it's the only thing you can cling to and the only thing ultimately that makes life worth living. Yeah. And I think in terms of connecting this to people, giving examples from real life of what is what is a sign and what is wisdom, what are those ways people grasp at these things, these ultimately self-oriented um, <clears throat> paths of salvation, kind of, I, I will do it. I will get the wisdom. I will have this experience of the signs and wonders and, and all that. Um, I think giving examples from life, whether it's people listening to every podcast to try to get that insider knowledge of how to make life work for them, or if it's people that go from church to church or motivational speaker to motivational speaker or um, uh, retreat to retreat, whatever the systems are, mm -hmm. these, um, these exhausting, frantic attempts to make life work out, um, uh, those things, um, I think you have to help people make real what Paul is talking about here and say Christ crucified, the one who's so offensive because he says you actually can't do anything and I've done it all for you, which, you know, is great news on one level, but on another sense, it's like, wait, I want to, I want to be a spiritual person. I want to contribute something. I want to have a, a resume that mm. has some impressive achievements on it. He yeah. says, no, it's a, it's, it's God that you've killed and he's on the cross. And that's the love of God, the glory of God, the power of God. Um, 
And it's also the, the thing that will, um, will save you. So, uh, it's, it's a big theological concept, but I think if you can connect it to people, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, look at the love of God for you. God is not a system of propositions or ideas to help you be a successful human. God is the one who loves you and saves you. Um, um, and, and, and Paul makes that very clear in this passage. Speaking yeah. of the one who saves us and who hangs on the cross, we meet him getting a little bit um, spicy. You know, little spicy he's getting <laughs> he's he's disturbing the peace he's a public nuisance here um he's going to jerusalem um and uh of course in the synoptic gospels you have that's matthew mark and luke you have jesus going to jerusalem at the end of his ministry that's the only journey that's recorded but john records some earlier trips and this is one here where jesus goes to jerusalem and he finds people selling livestock and money changers and so, just a little thing, the vast majority of your congregation, unless it's full of seminary professors or seminary students or whatever, they might not know what is going on here. So, the temple, we think of a temple as a place to go worship, just to sit and sing some songs and have some religious thoughts. Um, but a temple is a place for sacrifice. And so, when you go to atone for your sins or offer thanksgivings or whatever, you do that by sacrificing an animal. And so, that's why there are people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. Because if you're a Jewish person, you have to come. There's only one temple. It's in Jerusalem. You have to travel from wherever you live, which could be very far away. And so, you don't bring the animal with you. You buy it when you get there. But you might not have the local currency that you need when you get to Jerusalem. So, yes. that's why there's money changers at their table. So, it's kind of a one-stop shop. You go to the the Casa de Cambio, you go to the exchange uh, house and you get your your money in the right currency and then you go buy your animal and then you go up and you sacrifice. So the thing that's going on though is that the money changers um, often were, the, the exchange rates were very um, uh, extortion, extortion, what's the right word? Ex they were taking, they were basically like high prices. Um, they were- It was extortion. Uh, yeah, they were basically saying, oh, you'd like but, to sacrifice your animal and get close to God? Well, we'll give you an exchange rate, but it's going to, you know, you're going to have to pay for this exchange. And so, um, it was it was just a, it was a scam. And the other thing is, he's, uh, the, the, the place where they're set up, um, uh, it says in the temple. He found, so, there's like an area, likely the court of the Gentiles, some area where people are supposed to be able to have access to this worship of Yahweh, but it's being, you know, you can't worship, it's like, carving out some pews in the back of your church so that uh, you can have a, uh, a gift shop or something with really high prices and you say you can't even worship unless you buy something here and we're going to charge you a lot for it and we're making it so that fewer people can actually come because we've taken up this holy space for this um, for this financial transaction. So Jesus is really ticked about this. He gets a, he, he looks around, finds a some cords, makes a whip, and this is his Indiana Jones moment. He just drives people out, gets them animals out. I mean, it, just think, I mean, Jesus would have broken a sweat. He'd be like red face. That's a lot of work to drive a bunch of livestock out of a big space. And, totally. Um, makes a huge mess. Uh, it seems out of character with the Jesus meek and mild that we have. But um, it's an important part, obviously, that uh, is in this inspired text and wants to show us mm -hmm. something really important about Jesus. How do we fit with this, uh, this part where if... If, um, if God is this great, merciful, forgiving God, um, Jesus is so mean and angry here, Jake. How do you, how do you reconcile that, and, and what would you say about this? Yeah, well, uh, the first thing, I mean, and you notice he makes a cord of whips. So this is premeditated. You know, he's thinking about this as he's making a lanyard. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I think it's he important. He like, get out of here, you guys. He like, <laughs> yeah. he like gets an actual tool. Um, I think the, 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 the point here too, you got to really remember uh, 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 the temple. So, uh, and this goes into everybody who's thinking they're pious uh, everybody who's thinking they're a super mystic and making their way to God or with their own piety or with their own wisdom, this is, this is, a, this is on one level a very harsh word to all the ladder climbers in your congregation. <laughs> mm. So, um, but there's good news in it. You see, uh, you just didn't in those people, people are so, so filled with such nonsense today when they talk about finding God in sunsets and things like that. In, in the first century, uh, you didn't find God on a long walk on the beach or a sunset. You went to the temple, and this was true for Israel as well. You went to the temple, and uh, the temple was the place where uh, you were to be shown mercy. You know, the temple was the place where you were to engage in sacrifice and a holy God. And what had happened was is that you took all of this ladder-climbing religion and, like, mashed it all together into a real huge economic mess so you had all of these people, one, you know, um, saving up all of their money and following these 12 easy steps to this year, we finally got the ram, as opposed to those <laughs> folks over there who squat and they're all they got are pigeons. <laughs> Look how much yeah. holier we are. And then uh, to be fair, these guys who were se- who were uh, selling things in the temple, you know, and using the temple currency. I mean, never forget, these were the people who were speaking truth to power. Because what they were doing with their money, if you read any of the historians of the Second uh, that write about Second Temple Judaism, a lot of these guys, man, they were speaking truth to power, and they were funneling their money to Jewish insurgencies, you know, to overthrow Rome and uh, put Israel back on the map. So, I mean, these weren't bad people. But what happened was, is this had become essentially, if you want to boil it all down to it, ladder-climbing religion. This was self-help religion. This was political religion. This was the religion that you can oftentimes find in the Christian section of the Barnes and Noble. And mm. uh, and what Jesus is doing when he gets in there and he disrupts it, and this is for all the ladder-climbers, including myself, who want to be defined by what we do desperately um, so that God will take notice of us. Um, Jesus is saying, I am not that type of Messiah, you know, and I would rather uproot all of Israel and all of your natural inclinations of religion for you to understand that I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm the one who's coming to meet you. And this is why he says, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it back up. Uh, Because uh, what he is saying here is that, so if the temple If we can get away for sunsets for seven seconds and we can get to the temple is the place where God actually dwells, well, then you begin to see this is a radical statement because Jesus is shifting the attention away from the the building itself to his very body, the very place where heaven and earth finally meet, where divinity and humanity are like united. And so uh, what this is all about ultimately is that God is reaching down to you. And so uh, maybe in Lent, instead of trying to uh, hand God over our amazing diet plan, instead of trying to hand God over, you know, our uh, our wisdom and our other stuff, we we you know all of our attempts at love, uh, we can give Him our sin and we can go there, you know, and uh, and we can allow the law as it's revealed in Exodus to work on our heart. 
and we can uh, give him everything and say, Jesus, save me and know that God indeed has met you as well in water and you've been baptized and uh, he's meeting you in bread and wine to assure you uh, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And uh, uh, that just as Jesus's body was torn down and three days later, it was raised up from the dead. When you die, uh, my friends, give them the good news and let them know that they'll be raised from the dead as well. That's right. Well, I think, um, I, I think we've all learned something here. Uh, despite how good of a fundraising idea this may be, the Lord is not pleased <laughs> yeah. with it. So you'll have uh, to stick I'm, to your I'm, tried and true. I'm doing a capital campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So don't, you can't so, sell. I mean, we animals. are currently selling rams uh, for those interested. <laughs> <laughs> Sign up for the platinum level. Yeah, platinum level. Ram and we'll, the, we'll throw the, in a sheep. The JP Morgan circle. So. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think one of the great things about this is that Jesus is trying to increase access to the temple, increase right. access to God. And ultimately, and he is he the temple. In, and he is the temple. So he's saying, like, I'm here. He's saying this whole system can go away because I'm here. And I think that the, the way um, this is uh, most powerfully preached, I think, is to make it clear that Jesus wants, in a world where people want to make it sometimes harder to get into the religious community, make the rules harder, make the, the, the gate narrower, um, the, the requirements for religious perfection higher, and the judgment only increases. Um, Jesus, as the old hymn says, that, well, there's a wideness in God's mercy. Mm. He's trying to make room for more people, and this is what he's doing. Um, ultimately, he'll give, him, he'll give himself, which is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, and what Jesus himself says in John 2. He gives himself so that all can come. Uh, come near the throne of grace, which is what Lent is about. So, end with that. Uh, I think that'll do it for the, the third Sunday in Lent, and um, uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers, everyone. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know, we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.